Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It is Saturday, February 19th. This is Anything Goes Podcast. Let's get it. All right, folks. Hey, welcome back. Now, we're going to start off with this story tonight. I got I got Jimmy here with me again tonight. And we're going to get into some other topics that, you know, are, you know, intriguing to us, I guess you could say. But this one, Jimmy, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I have to talk about it because it's like such a bizarre thing to me. But it also is, oh God, I don't know. It's just like, what does it say about the times we live in that this could be the case? And you know what I'm talking about. I haven't said it yet to the viewers, so they don't really know what I'm talking about. But this is kind of like a preliminary, you know, don't don't give away what the story is. But just knowing what it is in your head, what how do you how do you, how do you think that this even becomes a thing? Well, this should be a freaking wild <laughs> story that is unbelievable. It should be kind of all over the news, but like I think we're so desensitized to these crazy things from maybe movies or whatever else is out there that it's like it's like oh it's just another another wild crazy story or another like you know kind of one of those one of those oh here's a Florida case but <laughs> it, this one's not in Florida but uh, what is wrong with people Chris what is wrong oh, with people oh my god all right so <laughs> some of you may know about this some of you may read it now I, to me I haven't seen it like in like major news but it is in the news uh they certainly aren't you know talking extensively about it so we have a louisiana teacher cynthia perkins it's a middle school teacher so i think well eight, i think eighth grade is what her eighth grade class is what she did this to <laughs> so a louisiana teacher is expected to spend four decades behind bars after she admitted, not just that they assumed, she admitted to giving her students cupcakes laced. Don't say it, Chris. Laced with her husband's sperm. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I just, and, and it's not to make light of the story because it's it's seriously disgusting and it's seriously demented and, and you know it, it's just crazy to me that somebody but i have to ask how does that conversation even happen <laughs> you know cynthia comes home from a bad day at school her kids were being really bad and she says dennis i'm gonna need some of your sperm because i'm gonna cook them into cupcakes that i'm gonna give to my class tomorrow I, and then Dennis, apparently, just says, "Ah, oh, okay, cool." Yeah. Do you, do you think she like looked up a recipe or something? And <laughs> I mean, you know. I don't know. I don't know if she just substituted it for something else. I I don't know what she's thinking. Now, you know, looking a little bit further into it, obviously these two have other severe problems, and I'm not going to call it mental health because that seems to be the narrative I'm blaming everything that somebody does negative is their mental health. I'm not doing that here. And I, I'm not going to do it because they made the decisions to do the shit that they did and they're going to have to pay for it. But Perkins herself, this is Cynthia, the teacher is facing at least 60 counts of production of pornography involving a juvenile under 13 years of age and two counts of first degree rape along with giving a harmful substance char charge for putting her husband Dennis's sperm into the cupcakes that she then served her middle grade her middle school class. Dennis is also facing uh, let's see god I think it it's 150 charges total. Uh so she's facing 60 so he's you know he's got the other 80. Uh <laughs> But it all stems on like child pornography and uh, rape and all kinds of things. So obviously these two have like 
I'm sure it has to do with the number of students and things like that. And I know we're laughing about like the yeah. craziness of it, but it is a serious issue. And what really gets me is that kids were involved. And that is, that is it's just an well, awful thing. But to me, it goes beyond that. It's not just that kids were involved. It's the willingness of these two. And sure, listen, they're not the only ones. I get it. I mean, maybe for this kind of crazy stuff, but they're not the only ones that actively seek out children Right. To, to do stupid stuff with. But this is just insane to me. It's just where, how did we get to this point where you would even think, and, and, and you brought up a great question before. <laughs> I can't even remember how you phrased it, but it just, it, it struck me because it was like a really good question of, God, I can now I can't even remember what you said. I don't remember what we were talking about. What <laughs> we were talking about this. I know, but but what did you say? God, it's gonna drive me crazy now because it was it was like really a good a good point as to you know her her frame of mind. I think it had to do with like her frame of mind. Or something. I can't. I'll I'll think of it and I'll come <laughs> back to it. But uh, but yeah, just it's insane to me that somebody would even that. How does that thought cross your mind? Like that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> it's just I don't know. I don't I, I I mean I guess normal people, like normal thought process people just don't I mean, was there like some sort of vindictive part to this? And oh I know what you said. You said how did they find out about it? Yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean there's <laughs> like she admitted to it, but admitting to it means that to me that that was posed that was posed to her is like, did you Put your husband's sperm. Right. In did somebody question did these get... cupcakes? Did I mean, somebody keep something? Did they actually test it and confirm this? Well, like, they would have to have some idea that it happened if they right. were going to test it. Well, how, how would, would they that even, even know become? That? No. no, that's what I'm saying. Did she look up a recipe or something? And you know, I mean, that's I, crazy. I, I just was she trying to get back at somebody? I mean, did she hate her class? I mean, I, I just I don't understand that. Yeah. When you get to when it gets to that point where this is your decision. Or are they just like really just like sexually deviant? I I think people. that's that's really just what it is. It's and but what what you were talking about earlier is the problem is that there had to have been warning signs. There had to have been stuff that well, they should have seen, or you know, this isn't <laughs> a, a single instance. You know, a right. lots of lots of um, kids were involved. There was lots of activity. Yeah. That that brought light to this situation. Right. And my sense is they've probably been looking at these two for quite some time with the extensive amount of charges and, and the other things that have been brought against them. But, but man, I, I read that and I, I almost couldn't sleep when I read it. I was like, because it really got into my head. Like what, how does this, how does this become your thought process? How does this become the idea yeah, I get people have crazy ideas all the time, but I don't even know in what realm <laughs> this this would even rise to a thought. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. I just thought that, you know, if you're talking about crazy things that, you know, we're going through and, you know, I haven't heard anyone blame it on the pandemic yet. So <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, moving on. What do we got? What do we got tonight, Jimmy, that... Uh, that we're going to talk about. Yeah, well, speaking of schools and teachers, I think on a, on a positive note. So we saw this week that uh, three school board members in San Francisco were recalled from their position. And these were specifically members that were uh, involved in the woke movement. And, yeah. you know, and Uber so, progressives. Yeah, exactly. So um, but I think they specifically had a response to the recall that you wanted to, to yeah. talk about. So. Uh, okay, so the so a couple things first. One, so apparently San Francisco schools have been closed for the entirety of the pandemic. So you're talking a year, year and a half to two years, somewhere in that. Over a year, maybe a little bit less than two years, but up to two years. Where they're all virtual. They're all virtual, 100% virtual in San Francisco. These... Board members, and now it's a whole board, so these are just the three. I think there's seven total. Um, these three were recalled. Um, but they've run up in that 
year to two year period, $145 million deficit as a school board. One, I'd like to know how that's possible when the schools haven't been open. You have nobody going to the schools. You're not making lunches every day. You're not, you know, you, you don't, you're not running the electricity at full capacity every day. You're not doing all the, you're, the water's not, you know, running through faucets and toilets aren't being flushed all day and all these things. So first, where's, where did you, where did you get $145 million deficit? Cause they said 145 million deficit. They didn't say 145 million was spent out of the school budget. So that, that's in excess of whatever the school budget was. Cause it's a deficit. Yeah. They probably had to justify all kinds of new equipment they needed for virtual school teaching. And they probably still had to justify, well, uh, our school bus drivers still need to get paid because you know, that's what they expect. So there's no, well, there's no real, but honestly, for this, there, this is one of those places that's going to latch onto and accept and suck in as much as the federal aid that was given out for those specific things during the pandemic. So, okay. Now you have $145 million deficit. The next question is, did you take any percentage of that federal aid to compensate for the pandemic? And if so, where did that go? And how does that tie into a $145 million deficit? So, I mean, that question just brings on more questions as far as this school board goes. Now, the response uh, of two, two of the three that have been, first of all, all three of them were, uh, what's the word? Recalled? Recalled. Oh. Were recalled by significant numbers all of them were over 70 percent recalled by over 70 percent one was 76 one was 72 and one was 74 i believe are all in that ballpark so it's not like it was a 50 50 split and keep in mind san francisco is one of these really big liberal hotbeds right so these were progressive so you have a pitting of the liberals in san francisco against the progressives right. in san francisco the excuse that the two of them have made is this recall was drummed up and driven by white supremacy. That's the go-to. That's the go-to. That is the go-to. Now, the problem with that is, one, the and, and I'm going to equate these because the liberal narrative is that if you're a Republican, you are obviously part of, you are obviously white, and you are obviously agree with white supremacy. That's what they say all the time, right? So if that's the case, only 6% of voters, that's right, I said six, 6% 6 of registered voters in San Francisco are Republican. Yet 76, 74, and 72% of the people voted to recall you and kick you out of office. So I, I don't understand your math and I don't understand your narrative. Yeah, and to me, that was that's what was encouraging to hear because, uh, there's you know, as the left continues to battle against each other to see who can be as far left as possible. So, so if you recall, these individuals who were recalled from their position was primarily because they were identified as uh, spending most the majority of their time pushing forward the progressive agenda to rename 44 schools right. that honored public figures linked to racism, sexism, sexism, and other injustices, including Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Right. The he guy, did nothing. He for, did nothing for, <laughs> for, for racial equality. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was definitely good to see that, there's going to be an end to this. Well, and the center is bigger than than what we see the loud yeah. left extremism. Right. So, well, and I, I it's always hard to I, I mean, I never put a ton of credence nationally in what a local jurisdiction does. Having said that, when it comes to these education and particularly these school boards over the last I mean, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia got elected because of this issue. I mean, 100%, he got elected because of the education and the Loudoun County School Board 
issues and the Northern Virginia school board issues about mandates and, and all that stuff and how they were treating parents and saying that parents didn't have a right to have any say in their children's education. And so, again, I don't put a lot of credence in a nationwide thing that happens at a local jurisdiction as far as their politics. But I think in this case, in, in an education case, I do think that it carry, it's carrying weight across county lines and across state lines and across the nation because you saw it in Virginia and now you're seeing it in it liberal utopia of san francisco who have more homeless people living out in the middle of their streets than they do chairs in a chairs in schools total are fighting back against this now well i think what's also encouraging to me is that it is getting that national coverage mm -hmm. so i think that does speak to i think there's a lot of anecdotal instances across the country that we're seeing specifically in response to all these mandates i mean even though like the it, it's not great that it's taken this long for people to see that there is a never ending uh, case or, you know, the 15 days to slow the spread is never ending. Right. And we, you know, even though we all saw that two years ago, uh, at least it's coming around and so many people are pushing against this and saying, okay, enough is enough. How, when, when will the booster jabs end you know right can you ever be fully vaccinated well the and if you no. notice if you notice and that's another you know and i don't want to go off on a tangent about <laughs> <Right>. the <laughs> mandates and the vaccine and masking and all that shit because everybody knows probably pretty much where i stand on that stuff um but you've noticed the talk about that on the news and by this administration in general has virtually disappeared over the last two weeks. You're not hearing anything about mandates. You're not hearing any, you're not seeing those commercials on TV anymore of Joe and Kamala saying, get vaccinated. You That has almost completely gone. And, and me personally, I'm tying it directly to one, he's got to give the state of the union address on the 1st of March. So he doesn't want the talk on the 1st of March to be, mandates which is why they're avoiding the conversation second we're 10 months away from the midterm elections so the sooner the quicker and sooner and that's why these mandates all of a sudden all these democratic governors are getting rid of mandates in their states because they've got 10 months to erase what they believe will erase that whole conversation from a midterm run for the people in their party because, again, they believe that we are – and we do. Americans have short memories. We have short memories on stuff. Having said that, this memory I don't believe is going to be a short one. And it's not going to be a short one because it it deals directly with people's kids. People's kids, people's <laughs> bank accounts. People are feeling it yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And, and so that to me is why this whole – that's why, one, their conversation about this stuff is all but gone. You don't hear it. Nobody's talking about it. You don't you haven't seen Health and Human Services come out and, and have one of their press briefings uh, during the day at the White House. You haven't heard uh, any any of them. You haven't heard uh, the Surgeon General, who, oh, by the way, just came down with COVID yesterday, by the way. Um, but he, he was out on TV about every other day a month ago talking about getting vaccinated and all this stuff. Those are gone. You don't hear anything from any of them. And it's because the science hasn't changed. Right. No. no. To me, I haven't I haven't read or seen or heard anything about any of the science of the covid virus changing. What has changed are the poll numbers. Absolutely. And that's where you got to give. I, I, I'll say liberals. I like to I try to differentiate le the left and liberals and progressives. However, the, the, the point I'm making is that you have to give them credit that they are very politically apt. Um, you know, I feel like they are pretty mentally deficient in a lot of ways, <laughs> to put it nicely. Mildly. <laughs> um, but they know how to play the game. Sure. And so they're reading these polls and they know that the mandates are not a popular uh, item. It's not a winning argument for them. Well, it's not that they're not popular. It's that, I mean, California, 
Kamala Harris's, the poll I saw yesterday, Kamala Harris's favorability rating in California. Now keep in mind, she's from California. She was a senator from California. She was the attorney general in California. She spent her whole political career before she went to Washington in California. Is at 28%. That's an embarrassment. You got, you're the vice president of the United States and your home state, only 28% of one of the most liberal, considered one of the most liberal states in the country, if not the most liberal state in the country. And you only have 28% approval rating in your own state. That's embarrassing. <laughs> and, Joe, you know, Biden's not much behind her. I think he's at, I think he's at 32 or 33% or something like that in California. But, and that's just California. And so if it's that in California... What do you think her approval rate is in Arizona? <laughs> yeah, and I think that there that that's good to hear that I think a lot of people are realizing that that this administration was a mistake. However, I just I don't have faith that they've learned their lesson no. completely and well, they don't have to quite right away either yeah. because he's still got another 3 years in office. I mean, as as far as the top of the ticket's concerned, it's an irrelevant argument right now because although I say that, but there was a who's I can't remember his name, but he's considered a pretty liberal uh, Democratic strategist who came out yesterday or today and said that 100 uh, percent Joe Biden should have a primary opponent when he runs for reelection. So if you got like an uber liberal already saying a year into the term of your elected president that he needs to have a primary. He should have a primary against somebody. That's pretty sad. I don't, I would venture to say he's not even going to run. Yeah, and that's possible. Yeah. I don't think he, I think that they're going to, whether it's going to be his decision or not, I think he's going to be pushed to not, to not run. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the Republicans take the house. Now, if they take the house and Senate, that's a bigger problem for Biden. Uh, if they take the House, it's the same problem that Trump ran into where, you know, what are they going to do? Go find some random phone call and, you know, oh, oh that's impeachable. Oh, that's impeachable. Oh, that's impeachable. And that's all we're going to hear. And I don't want that either because I thought that the first two that, you know, when they impeached Trump were absolute 100% bullshit. I mean, the narrative, the Russia collusion narrative was completely bullshit and should have never been a reason. And they knew that, as we're finding out now with all the uh, Durham report reporting coming out about Hillary and her campaign, which we already knew. I mean, this is just solidifies that he filed an actual court document stating what we already knew. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's going to he's going to have problems. I don't want the Republicans to go down that road, but I think there's a lot of them in Congress that are very, very hostile and very, very pissed off about what happened under the four years of Trump in that chamber. And I, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, you got your Jim Jordans out there who uh, are really looking to just tear it up. And not to mention, they're going to go after Adam Schiff who made all these promises about all this evidence he had that he's never produced. The whistleblower is going to testify. Oh, in a week, the whistleblower is going to testify. Oh, we're very close to the whistleblower testifying. Still has never testified. Nobody even knows who he is because he doesn't exist. No, and that's what <laughs> that point you made about the short memories. I think that I wish we could see a lot more comparison of what was said just a short while ago mm -hmm. to what, we're finding out now and just the clear difference in those two different statements or, you know, the evidence or information that's coming out yeah. would really highlight the hypocrisy that we're seeing. Well, and there's nobody. And listen, I don't care if you're on the right, you're on the left, you're in the middle, you're wherever. If you can sit there and honestly look me in the face and tell me that you don't think that we have seen nothing but utter hypocrisy in the last six years. I'm not sure you have the mental capability to consume air because it is so clear, but they don't care. They live in these glass houses, these bubble zones, this alternate universe, Justin Trudeau, uh, 
it's just amazing to me that they, but again, you know, it goes back to the same thing. Are, are they going to turn around and elect the same? I don't know. I don't know. Are they going to elect the same type of person based on other qualities that they have, but the same policies? You know, I've said it before, the definition of insanity. <laughs> you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So I, I don't know. Time time will tell. But yeah, if you if you can sit here and honestly tell me that you don't see, oh, there there hasn't been any hypocrisy. I mean, is it no, that's just no, Russia. No. And oh, by the way, the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing, you know, why hasn't Biden I saw a great question yesterday in the press briefing to the White House uh, to uh, our favorite Jen Psaki. Um, and they asked her, they said, basically, you're saying that you're not going to put the sanctions down until he goes in unless he crosses the border and invades Ukraine. So basically, what you're saying is, is until people die, you're not going to take any action. And she completely blew the question off, which I, you know, I fully expected her to do. She's not going to answer that, um, nor probably should she. She's a press secretary, not a policymaker. Um, but you, you've had the you have the capability to cripple their economy, to cripple Russia's economy now. Why aren't you doing it? Hypocrisy, because the whole four years that Trump was in office, all we heard was, oh, he's such a good friend to Putin. And he loves Putin and Putin loves him and they're best friends. And, and he was colluding with him. And this is all that. Well, here you go, Joe. Here's your opportunity. You could, you could 100% destroy Russia's economy right now, but you're not doing it. And you're going to wait until, and then I'm not even so sure. And I don't even think that Putin believes that you're actually going to follow through with anything you say anyway. I don't think there's any fear of that whatsoever. So yeah, whatever. It's, it's all hypocrisy. And yeah, send me an email, send me an email if you disagree with that statement. And I would love to talk to you. I would love to have you on here to have that conversation. Hey folks, we'll be right back in just one second. All right, we're back. So moving forward, <laughs> Jimmy, what do we got on tap? Well, let's see. I know we were talking a lot about the, the liberal woke agenda which <laughs> is always on the table here um a follow-up to a previous story we talked about mr brian flores our nfl coach mm. that filed a lawsuit against the nfl uh for racial discrimination looks like he found himself a job there he Chris. did find himself a job he is going to be the steelers I think senior defensive assistant and linebackers coach. Uh, far cry from head coach. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I'm not sure how Mr. Flores feels about that position, but uh, yeah, he found a job. So that's interesting. That's interesting. He went to the Steelers. So, you know, who is uh, the original advocate for the Rooney Rule? Yep. Um, and they have the what the the one. Black coat, black head coach in the in the NFL, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, Mike Tomlin has made no secret uh, of his stance on you know race in the upper echelons of the NFL over the years. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it only makes sense that they would offer him a job. What you do notice is nobody else offered him a job. Well, that's why I bring it up. <laughs> that's why I bring it up as as that being interesting because I'm kind of surprised he got a job, really, because He's going to bring that circus, that that negative attention to your organization just for that reason. Like my, my point has always been skin color doesn't freaking matter. It's a merit based system. Right. The best coach should, coach should get the job, whether they're black, white, green or blue. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, can you coach? Right. Can you coach? And can and, you can you work inside an organization cohesively? That's as much that's as much of a uh question that a team has to answer when they're looking at hiring somebody and flores doesn't have that pedigree uh you know he he was at jacksonville he didn't get along with the gm who by the way was black um he didn't get a he didn't get miami along, right miami. or miami sorry miami. um 
you know, he didn't get along with some of the other coaches on the team. Uh, you didn't see a big uproar from the players on Miami that he was gone. Well, I also had an issue because, look, his his argument against the Dolphins was that they were trying to encourage him to lose games. Right. But guess what? You didn't bring that up until until, until you got fired. Until you got fired, right. Right. And so you file a lawsuit for racial discrimination, but none of your complaints actually had to do with race, right, dude. So, yeah. Well, and it goes, you know, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I, I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it coming on. It's easy in this case. Uh, you know, and what his what his lawsuit has created is a narrative, right? The narrative is, and and it he didn't create it. Obviously, it's been around for some amount of time as far as the amount of head coaches, amount of minority, in particular, black head coaches in the NFL. That that argument that conversation has been around for a little while. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how long exactly, but I've heard it before. My problem is, let's look at Byron Leftwich. The guy is the presumptive selection as the head coach of Jacksonville. And then he, pull, he withdraws his name from consideration. So, the narrative is that they're not hiring black head coaches. You have a black head coach or a black coach who is the presumptive selection by a team in the league to be their head coach. He withdraws his nomination himself. He withdraws himself as the nomination. And then the narrative quickly switches to, well, yeah, but they were sending him to a crap team. What person, what coach in the NFL first head coaching job was with an uber successful team. None. You're, those, those jobs, one, are frequently not open because they're not they're good teams because they have stability at the head coaching position. They have stability at all their coaching positions. They have good GMs. So if you've never been a head coach, why, why would your expectation be that you're going to go to a New England Patriots or a – Kansas City Chiefs and all just become a head coach just like that. I mean, the Chargers, their head coach, the Chargers were not a, a spectacular team when he took over as their head coach. He's turned them into a pretty good team. The Rams, when he took over, he the Rams weren't a spectacular team. They were a good team. He's turned them into Super Bowl champions. Um, the Bengals. I mean, you can go down the line and look at the, none of these guys went to teams that were thought to be number one teams in their divisions. So why would your expectation be that as your first head coaching job, you're going to go to a premier team? Right. Well, that's how we know that Byron Leftwich didn't turn it down for that reason. To uh, He didn't turn it down because, oh, I don't want to go to this team because it's not a, not a winning organization. No, he's gonna he, he's gonna take that job. So he most likely turned it down for whatever reason. If you're going right. to a team that is not winning, then you're kind of going to a, a good situation where it's like the expectations are low enough. It's kind of win win for you. Yeah, and I'm not putting that on uh, Byron Leftwich, by the way. You know, the, I don't think he's come out and made any claim or statement or anything about that. But the narrative, the media narrative automatically turned to oh well it's you know he backed out he backed out and you know good for him because they were trying to they were trying to set him up by sending him to a team that's already failing so uh, again leftwich hasn't i haven't heard him say anything about that but that became the media narrative when he withdrew his name so again right well with brian, brian flores the uh, part of his argument I would agree with because I think he's complaining about the Rooney rule and whether or not we're taking the same perspective on it. What he's saying is the, the Rooney rule is not doing what its intended purpose was for. So the Rooney, he's calling the Rooney rule racist. And to me, it's not a good rule because it devalues the good minority candidate coaches because then they always have to question well did i only get this job because i'm i'm a minority 
Because um, of my color of my skin. I, you know, I, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that the problem I have with that is is in the in light of him filing that, you haven't seen an uptick in black or minority coaches being hired. So and I get it, not every team has hired who they're gonna hire for this next season, and there's probably a long you know, six months before that happens. But I think if that was the, if that was the thought process that you would already see a whole bunch more black or minority coaches being, you know, publicly, you know, it'd be, it would be being put publicly out there that they're being interviewed at this amount. Or You mean being, since the Brian Flores? Yes. Well, I think there not much time has passed. And oh, it's been I'm, a couple I'm, months. No, but I'm talking about the whole Rooney rule has been in, in place for many, many years. Sure. And so, no, I don't think that it's going to have but, that impact. But that's what happens when you put a rule like that in place. I mean, that's a, that's almost a, how do I say it? What's the word I'm looking for? That's almost a guessable there's another word for that but you can almost guess that that's going to be the outcome to that that it's going to be a check in the box rule right so they're using it they they put a rule in place that says you have to interview them you have to interview a minority coach for x y and z positions right as part of your pool of people that you might select you have to okay so by the rooney rule they're doing exactly what they have to do they're interviewing them. That doesn't mean they're going to get the job. They're not violating the rule. No, but that that's my problem with it. It's like I, it's not. But that's a it, thing the rule created. That's not a thing that the yes, NFL yes, created. That yes, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. That's why I agree. I think that that is that that rule should be eliminated because we can't. I think I, it would be very interesting to see what would happen. How many minority candidates candidates would actually be interviewed without the rule? Then we get we would get real true numbers because now there's always that question mark: is are they only doing this to check the box? Yeah. When and so I I just think that I think there would be pretty much the same outcomes. There are a slew of black and other minority candidates the NFL is filled with sure. now. Uh, and it's it's great. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter ultimately. But they're not they're being put in those positions to help the organizations right. win. The GMs, the ownership, they are invested in making their teams, yeah, win, which makes their teams profitable. Mm -hmm. That's what it all comes right. down to. It's it doesn't business. matter about it's a business. The, no, the race is not an issue, right? And how did I say it? I think I've said before. Uh, show me statistically where the color of the head coaches or the GM skin equated to success or show me where it didn't. I mean, where's the statistical data that says the color of the coach's skin matters when it comes to winning and losing. Right. Absolutely not. And that's, <laughs> and that's what we talked about a little bit earlier is that it all depends on, it doesn't necessarily depend on your ability to coach. Right. It m much more depends on your ability to bring a team together. Right. If they and can, not just the team. You have to be able to, you have to be able to work cohesively within an organization. Uh, sure. So yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, we, we see you hear every once in a while when a coach gets fired, it's you know his team didn't respect him because he was trying to be their friend, not their coach. That doesn't have anything to do with his color. It has to do with the fact that he would rather be the, he would rather be one of the guys than he would be the leader of the team. Those are all big, major considerations that an organization has to take into account. I mean, uh, what's his name? Kansas City's coach. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. I mean, when he went to the Eagles in 1999, they were 5-11. and 11. That was his first head coaching job. He didn't go to a premier team to start out. What did he do with that team when he got there? I mean, he... You could make an argument that he turned them around. All right, I think he took them to the a the <laughs> NFC Championship uh, four out of or sorry, yeah, no NFC Championship four out of five seasons, right. and you know, yeah, turned them around I for mean, sure. So again, did that have anything to do with the, with the fact that he's a big white guy? No, had to do with the fact that he is a coach. He's a good coach. He knows how to coach people. <laughs> again, where does race? plug into that it well, doesn't no and and yeah exactly and you, i hate to 
I hate talking about it because it's so obvious and clear. It's it's really not. It's a non-issue, but it's kind of like all the black guys are coming out in support of Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, all the there's a plenty of black players that are in love with their with Andy Reid. Right. You know, they all uh, right. you know. It's it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all about how a coach treats a player. It's all about how a coach treats or interacts with the organization, how that cohesiveness is. And on top of that, the other 50% is, can he actually coach? Those are the two things. Obviously, those are big umbrellas, right? Can you get along? Can you make concessions with ownership and with GMs? Can you, you know, can you guys agree to disagree on stuff and move on and just continue to coach? Can you be a good coach to your team? Can you support your team members, but at the same time still be the, you know, coach disciplinarian that you need to be with, you know, players that sometimes are just as unruly as some some of the coaches. But it's a combination and you can't segregate one from the other because it's a total package that as an organization you have to look at the whole package and whether or not that person's a fit for your team and color of skin comes in nowhere in that entire conversation no it shouldn't it shouldn't and and so chris i think what we another problem in our society what we're seeing and maybe it has to do with uh things like the washington redskins name (laughs) but what we're seeing is all these privileged white people are the ones that are really have a problem with these racial agendas. Um, so to switch gears a little bit, another situation that how everything turns about race. Did you see the Washington post recently where, so now they're, they're tying the, uh, freedom convoy, situation in canada the truckers there they're tying their desire for freedom to whiteness so i want to i want to read you a quick uh paragraph or a couple sentences from the washington post article written by a white phd candidate from university of pennsylvania and she characterizes this she says the primarily white supporters of the freedom convoy argue that pandemic mandates infringe upon their constitutional rights to freedom. The notion of freedom was historically and remains intertwined with whiteness. The belief that one's entitlement to freedom is a key component of white supremacy. (laughs) This explains why the freedom convoy members see themselves as entitled to freedom, no matter the public health consequences to those around them. (laughs) That just speaks to... I mean, what what can't be tied to racism? Yeah, I mean, everything, every, everything today. I, I was having this conversation with Megan. Like being called a racist today means absolutely nothing. Means nothing. Means zero. I, I mean, it, I equate being called a racist to being called a jerk. And being called a jerk doesn't <laughs> freaking bother me anymore. No, but it, it's a conversation ender for me. It's like you clearly have no substance to your point. So uh, see, that's where you and done. I differ because it's a, it's a conversation ender for you. It's just the beginning for me because when they do that, that's when I just go off. That's when I just start. I, oh, you're talking to a brick wall. That's, the, that's and that's the point. and that's yeah. cool. But I'm gonna yeah. I am going to make that brick wall. I'm gonna make that brick wall leave. I'm not gonna be the one who's gonna leave because I, it is such a ridiculous argument. I mean, we can go back to the uh, IRS scandal under Obama, and uh, when we're, they were talking about the five hundred one c three companies, which is the the five hundred one c three for those of you who don't know, is a uh, where a company it's not really it's like it's a nonprofit I think that uh, is tax exempt, federally tax exempt, um, and the whole issue was they stopped approving. 501c3s and the basis that they were using and i say stop which means they wouldn't even look at their package that they submitted for a 501c3 designation if they had the word patriot freedom uh conservative or anything like any of those words automatically put your packet in another pile that never got looked at how, having said that, if it said the word progressive, 
liberal, uh, civil liberties, anything like that, it got fast tracked, right? So this argument isn't new. This is this is just a continuation of that same argument through. Now that was obviously through policy because they made it their policy, even though it's not a legitimate policy, they made it their policy that that's how they handled it. Uh, but it's the same here, right? So everyone who's Republican is a white nationalist now. So you're putting white nationalists and uh, what's the, what's the other words that they're using? Uh, white supremacy and white supremacy are on the same level as being called a racist now. Doesn't matter. If you disagree with a liberal, you are a white supremacist. They're calling black people white supremacists. Larry Elder. They called Larry Elder a white supremacist because he's a conservative. So they're, they are equating conservatism or re- being a Republican with being a white supremacist. They're Obviously, it's a conflation. They're conflating the two to try to whatever, but that's where it's going. And so, yes, and Justin Trudeau goes on national television and says the same damn thing. Meanwhile, he's also touting China, you know, the the wonderful government of China publicly, if that's any indication to where he is on this planet right now. Yeah, he he expressed his admiration and specifically for their dictatorship system that's used yeah. there, which is absolutely crazy. You know, he described their system as being uh, or the uh, the dictatorship as allowing them to actually turn their economy around uh, because of that. Yeah, and never never mind system. that they're never mind that they completely uh, manipulate their currency and completely manipulate markets and completely manipulate everything that they do to appear to have that. And they <laughs> utilize you know the, all the human rights violations. <laughs> sure. To all, you know, their to their population that that we would never do, um, right? And so they take advantage of that. Of course, that if that impacts sure. their their economic system, um, is that really what Justin Trudeau would advocate for? Would he Im- well, implement some of those? I systems? mean, he kind of he kind of showed his hand this week when he uh, enacted the emergency the the emergency whatever's act that he. Uh, drew on this week and you know proof positive when you're seeing when you're seeing videos coming out of ottawa today and yesterday of the police on horseback trampling through crowds of people just stand there protesting with signs and trampling them and you don't hear justin trudeau coming out saying now we need to take a step back and we you know people have no well and i don't see how that's not obviously looked at as as complete hypocrisy Mm -hmm. when he knelt alongside all the BLM protesters, you know, for something that was, Hey, I I feel like we're discriminated against. Guess what? You are implementing actual systemic discrimination against people here. Uh, putting in, uh, uh, you know, getting the law involved and you're, they're, what are they doing? They're shut, getting into the bank accounts of anybody yeah, who's supporting them. Frozen them. bank yeah. accounts of people that are protesting. And and guess what? They're not even being violent. Right. They are not. Yes, they are disrupting their system. But guess what? Isn't that what public discourse is supposed? To- yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, you know, I I always wonder what it's going to take for a legitimate war to break out. Mm. Like, at what point do we are are they? crossing the line and say, you know what, we're not standing for this anymore. And we're going to take action here. Well, a, a minor disruption to their economics, right? Their e-commerce, or, yeah. you know, Hey, that's, you know, if you keep pushing hard against that, they're just going to escalate and escalate, you know, yeah. and go, go hard. I, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I mean, I, I give, I give, I mean, these, these folks in Canada who did the, who did the, blockade, I guess you could call it. Um, you know, they're putting their money where their mouth is. This is an important, unlike the liberal and progressive mouthpieces that we have here in this country that, you know, go out and talk the talk. They're not walking the walk. These folks talk the talk and walk the walk because they're putting their financial and life and business and everything, property, 
on the line for what they believe in. I can't declare my support enough for them. I think they're the heroes of the day. I think that that is a huge stand to take because it is. They're making huge sacrifices and they're not doing it by running out in the streets and burning buildings down and looting and everything like that. They're, They're actually taking a stand, doing it as peacefully as possible. There's like almost literally no violence going on. Uh, Yeah, the only arrests I've heard of have been in the last two days. Right. When they they arrested some of the leaders, I think, um, I guess as kind of a preemptive strike to – of things to come if the rest of right. them don't but but that's a place where they arrest people for hate speech or, right you know right yeah yeah that. canada's and this, and this is another thing about canada you know you hear all the time from our wonderfully liberal friends here in this country how much of a better country canada is and how but in reality i'm not so sure that that you really know what you're talking about because their speech is certainly restricted uh you know i think you can go to jail up there for misgendering somebody. Um, if they, if they're, if you, if you use pronouns that that person doesn't accept, you can get arrested for that. So do they really have free speech anyway? No, no, they don't. (laughs) No. And, and Justin Trudeau is very clear about telling you, no, that, that, that's not how we operate. Right. So I, you know, and Trudeau's just, problem is, is if he agrees with you, you're going to be perfectly fine. The second he disagrees right. with you, whether you're right or he's right or he's wrong and you're wrong, you're in trouble. But just listen to what they're saying. They don't mind telling you exactly what yeah. they mean, but just listen to what they're saying. And if that's the system you want to live in, go for it. But uh, you know, I'm I'm very happy that we live in America where we do have those freedoms, but. They're not guaranteed, right? They're not guaranteed, and we need to make sure that we are uh, continuing to push hard again to maintain those freedoms. And let's not forget this, folks. Let's not forget this is important. Who is the first person that Justin Trudeau talked about before implementing any of this stuff? Joe Biden. He and Joe Biden had a phone call the day before he enacted this Emergency Procedures Act or whatever the hell they call it up there and Biden uh, encouraged him to do this stuff. So if you think that it is a far cry and a far reach to think that if you decide that you're going to go protest against what he believes is right and wrong, that the same thing couldn't potentially happen to you or to your group, Canada's our neighbor. It's not, this isn't something that's happening in some third world country across the world. This is happening in what's considered to be probably a close second, if not within the top five countries of the world to our system. So if you think that it can't happen here, folks, I got news for you because our guy is the one who encouraged Trudeau to take these actions. Well, I think he saw what was coming here and he wants to nip in the bud. He wants to discourage that from happening by setting the example there and saying, hey, this is not going to be good for you because you're going to get arrested. You're going to yeah. have your financials impacted. Yeah. So, And oh, by the way, keep in mind that that emergency act that they uh, enacted up there was put in place for terrorism. So that tells you right there, they're already designating this group of people who have been sitting on a road in their trucks with signs as terrorists. We have laws in this country designed to deal with terrorism. If you think for a second that something couldn't be enacted by the whip of a pen of the president of the United States, you might want to think twice because if it can happen there, it can happen here. And if you got enough people that are on board with it, it can get ugly quick. All right, folks. Hey, it was a great night. Good talk. Uh, be back next Friday. I know it's Saturday. I was a day late, but I had to go to a casino because I wanted to play poker. Anyway, we will talk to you next Friday. Have a great week.